Welcome to A Handful of Hope, where we bring you heart-to-heart conversations with heart-centered people. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of A Handful of Hope. I am so happy and grateful to have Janine Perlstein with us here today, who is a business anthropologist, U.S. patent holder, and revered speaker who worked as a medical anthropologist before becoming CEO of Alchemy Academy where she has enriched workplace culture for clients ranging from solopreneurs to Fortune 100 companies. When not speaking, she mentors organizations to grow their workplace culture, develop their leadership skills, and achieve a higher level of positivity, productivity, and profitability. Janine has created several programs in leadership development and workplace culture enrichment, where she provides training to clients worldwide and certifies coaches to use her models for their own clientele. This work is supported by her book, Finding Your Lighthouse, A Leadership Guide to Navigating Change, looking at organizational culture through the eyes of an anthropologist. Jenny passionately helps business professionals and organizations get out of their own way and become the powerful and recognized leaders that they are meant to be. Janine, welcome, and thank you so very much for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really thrilled to be here with you today. Yes, I'm so excited to have, and we've been, I've been blessed to have an extra conversation with you, and I think if we capture half the magic that that one was, this is going to be, everybody will be in for it. Right, if only we had pressed record. <laughs> yes, yes. So, okay, I have to ask first, anthropology and leadership, where do those two pathways converge at? Isn't that interesting? Great question. Um, anthropology, in a nutshell, is the study of man anthropology, right? Study of man. And, and then as a cultural anthropologist, I study humans within their cultural settings. And, you know, as leaders, we move forward attempting to control our environments and uh, excel within the environments that we are operating in. And of course, through that, we're interacting with other humans, uh, with external forces, some we can control, some we can't, uh, and many other attributes that are very typical for anthropologists to study. Mm. And so through mm-hmm. my career, as I was implementing anthropology for specific things, you know, illness prevention and uh, e- political environments, business environments, I recognized that a lot of the work that I was attracted to just as a human being on, uh, on, on reaching our, our potential and on living a high performance lifestyle. A lot of the, the attributes were found within my home discipline of anthropology anyhow. And when I began to bring those worlds together, I, I found some, some magic there. And it's been a beautiful ride implementing behavior change and beliefs change strategies through the lens of anthropology for my clients and myself, quite frankly. Do you find that with, with people in leadership, and I, I think that's such an important note, right? There's the what we can control, what we can't control. And it mm. seems like oftentimes the things that cause maybe the biggest hip, hiccup in belief systems and the sticking point is the 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 obsession almost over what we can't control. Right. How do, how do you begin to work with belief systems with someone, whether they're in leadership or just, I think for general folks with who, who might find themselves getting in that stuck place with, there's this thing I can't control, but for yeah. some reason in our belief systems, we feel like we have to figure out how to control that thing. 
Right. Or we're a failure if we don't. Yeah. yeah. Yes, exactly. Well, it's a thick question that you just asked. <laughs> it's really big because and and, and it, it's actually where I start with my clients when we work together is we uh, we go through sort of an inventory of some of the basic attributes that allow them to be successful. And uh, I'll share those attributes with you. You've already touched on some of them, but the first one is our attitudes. And our attitudes are our state of mind or feelings about any particular thing at any particular time, and it changes pretty rapidly. Now we can find evidence of success in our past life by, by doing an inventory of our attitudes. Uh, the, the second attribute that we look at is behaviors. You know, naturally, if you have results in your life, you've behaved in a certain way that got you those results. And so you want to know what are the ones that serve you? What are the ones that don't serve you? And then going a step deeper, what are your beliefs? The third attribute we look at, uh, what beliefs do you have currently going to how much you can control, how much you can't control all of this? What's What's possible for you? What's not possible for you? And how are these beliefs shaping where you are, how far you've gotten, and maybe even what ceilings you've put over your, your uh, not only expectations, but your ultimate outcomes. And then the fourth attribute we look at are your values. And these are the least changeable. You know, I started with, with attitudes, the most changeable, going in order, behaviors, beliefs, then values. We'd, we don't have a tendency to change our values as often, but we want to know what are those standards or qualities that we deem worthwhile, and are we operating in conjunction with that? And the work that I do with, with organizations and companies in looking at their workplace culture is do the, the values of the employees align with the values of the company? And then do they have the beliefs that back that up? So I know that's kind of a big, uh, a big answer. It was a big question, yeah. but, but yeah. looking at starting to figure out how do we know what we can control? How do we know where we need to give up? We need to know what we as individuals bring to the table, what has worked for us in the past, what has held us back. And then the next step in that, just to kind of give you a hint, is that when we work with other people, the second that we start sharing these four attributes with others and we create an overlap there, now we've created a culture. That's what a culture is. These shared attributes of our attitudes, behaviors, beliefs, and values. And so when we look at, at can we change the culture, can we improve the culture, can we improve individual responses and, uh, and, and become more flexible and resilient? These are the places that we look at. I want to dive a little deeper into that, if you, if you don't mind. Right? Sure. Okay, great. I, I, this is where I, I love this. I totally geek out on this. And I was invited to do a keynote in the spring. And one of the topics that came in is the, it was the disconnect between leadership, team, and values. And yeah. have you, yeah. and I'm still, I'm still forming my question as I asked you, so please feel free to help massage it to work. With, I think you know where I'm, where I'm going to go with this. 
do you find when you're going in and you're working with organizations around values, do you find that even starting at leadership, is leadership fully aware of and embracing the values of the company? And, and then on that same note, are, is, the, is the team that makes up the company, are they aware of and embracing that? And if not, where is the disconnect from it? Is it because there's just a lack of attention to it? Or is it because there's something fundamental where the values are established by some entity outside of the organization and the nature of the organization is actually not embodiment of those values? Oh my gosh, you just hit on such a big problem in the workplace today is that you know so many companies out there or organizations even nonprofits will say we are values driven we're mission driven and you go into the lobby and they've got the you know the values on our every brochure oh, every oh, business card right, right? yeah exactly but you ask somebody within the company what the values are and they they just go blank they're like yeah. oh i think integrity uh you know yeah. these sort of things but then when you say, okay, well, what does that mean? And how do you represent that in the work that you do? And that's when you really get blank stares, even from the executives who were in the meeting that came up with that values list. Hmm. And so there's a disconnect in understanding of, uh, yes, we want to be, this is jargony, right? We want to be a values-driven organization or a mission-driven organization. But people, by and large, fail to recognize how to, what's the how, how to operate within the structure of that beyond just big flowery words. And the answer in my work is really comes in that step between the values and the beliefs. Because what happens is when an executive or an owner of a company or a team leader sets the values, they do so under the operation of their own beliefs about what's possible for them and what's possible for your team. Now, depending on the size of your organization, the team that's actually doing the work could be several layers down. And you know, the, the, the people on the front line who are, who are tasked with implementing those values-driven ideals they have different beliefs about what's possible for them or what their opportunities in life are than the executives who set those values do you see what i'm saying so yes. they you know a frontline employee who's 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 potentially several layers down in an organization will see a big banner uh stating values and they may even laugh or scoff uh, it might actually cause some resentment and some workplace toxicity because of that disconnect in the belief of what's possible for one person or the belief of what's possible for another person. And it becomes a pretty deep question. Yeah, and this to me is so, it's, it's so incredibly inspiring to hear that because when I think of how do you, how do you improve workplace culture? How do you improve the productivity, profitability, the three, those three Ps? 
it seems then that there is such a huge opportunity from getting that top to bottom connection between the fundamental, the piece that's like the fundamental core of who we are and who we aspire to be, which is the values. If you had the, the top and the bottom of the, whatever it is, the totem pole, uh-huh. that walked in and those words weren't just jargon or nonsense and pretty font, but they walked in and it meant something to them. Yeah. And that then they showed up not because it was the paycheck that they were getting, but because what was written on the wall was an expression of who they are and who they aspire to be. It yeah. just seems like the, 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 it's an exponential multiplier for improving those other metrics. Absolutely it is. Absolutely. And, you know, we've been we've been using examples from big organizations and I've worked with large organizations, but it happens within small teams as well. Even if there's just one or two other people in a team or in in an organization, a leader's failure or inability to articulate their their own beliefs about what's possible and their their purpose or their passion and being able to kind of spill that passion into the next levels, you know, to be able to really radiate that why and communicate it well. Failure to do that will lead to the same problems in workplace culture, even, in, even, even amongst a small team that some of the large organizations have. And it's really fascinating because you, you see people who run under a false pretense say, saying, well, we're a family. You know, we're just a small family and of course we get along and we love each other and all is well here. But when you dig down, you can find some productivity sinks that are based off of those disconnects. And, uh, and when you clear them up, it's amazing how smooth the path can be. Hmm. Do you, where do you find the biggest roadblock is for leaders and their ability to communicate that to their teams? to be able to inspire that possibility, to inspire what's, you know, their vision into them. Is it, is it, because I imagine it's more than just articulating, here's our values. Is it more of, is it a challenge of them embodying it? Is it a challenge of them even understanding as leaders what those actually mean and how they're expressed in their life? Where do you find that biggest roadblock is for leaders in that communication space between them and their teams? Uh, You ask such great questions and I wish I had, a very clear answer for this, but you know, unfortunately, it's kind of all of them because it is so individually based on the leader, the leader who is, uh, you know, putting up roadblocks yeah. <laughs> inadvertently. Uh, sometimes it's a communication problem. Sometimes it's a self-awareness problem on behalf of the leader. Uh, somebody hasn't stepped into their own leadership style and doesn't really know where they operate from their best place. Uh, sometimes it's a, uh, a hidden or mistaken belief, actually I would say often, on, on the part of the leader of what is possible um, for their team based on their own lens. You know, they believe that other people are operating on the same basis as they are, not recognizing that other people have different beliefs about what's possible for them based on their history and their family and their uh, upbringing and their culture. So uh, it's a it's a multifaceted 
question, really, but, but the answer can come at it from many different places. I can tell you one of the most common problems that comes from uh, the inability to really do this well is breakdowns of trust and respect within a team. Those are often the first two things that start to go where you see not just the positivity in a workplace go down, but the productivity go down. And, and that, of course, is linked to profitability. Do you find that, yeah. uh, first of all, I, I appreciate the answers because I feel like we're in that day and age where we're looking for the cookie cutter, one solution fits all, one size fits all response, which I think is part of the problem that where some of these organizations, or big or small, have run into the problem of they think, oh, here, let me put the pretty font and the words on the thing, and that's what I'm supposed to do. And okay, now we're done, move on to the next thing. So I appreciate that because humans were so much more complex often than a simple solution, right? Based off of whatever our life experience has been leading up to that point, all the seconds and minutes and hours and conversations, right. interactions that comprise and make up who we are. Mm -hmm. That breakdown of trust, that, that breakdown of trust, do you find that there's a common, I guess I'm kind of going right back to the cookie cutter thing, but I'm wondering if you see themes with it where, is there thematically things where we see trust most likely breaking down? Is, it, is there something that leaders are more often not doing that are creating these trust breakdowns so that they can be aware of and start to self-correct that? Yeah, again, it's not a cookie cutter thing, but I would say most often it comes from a belief that we're all operating off of the same attributes, that we're all operating from the same values, from the same beliefs, from the same attitudes, and that we're all doing the same behaviors. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I think that, that this is the universal thing, is that um, we see leaders who want to implement some kind of a change strategy. You know, even if it's just a new hire coming in and they say, okay, here's policies and procedures, or here's your how-to, here's what we want you to do. Now go do it. And, uh, and what they fail to do is they fail to, to understand that, that the person receiving that change order or that directive has their own beliefs and sometimes their own limitations of whether or not they can do that well or whether or not they've been trained for it well or they have the, the right tools to do it or the right support or the right environment or the right team or whatever those those variables are they have different beliefs and i would say the number one failure that we see then is leaders who make absolute assumptions that because i tell you to do a thing and it's your job to do the thing that you're going to do the thing. <laughs> and that's why so many change strategies across really powerful organizations, you know, and you feel like, wow, don't you know better about this? But it's a, it's a human condition. And I, I think a lot of leaders don't want that to be the case. They want to look at the numbers on the spreadsheet and not recognize, oh, but it's humans that have to move those numbers on the spreadsheet. Let's work on the level of humanity here and make sure that they have everything that they need in order to implement it from a place of enthusiasm. You know, I've read statistics that some upwards of 85% of Americans are not happy in their jobs. And if you're not 
sing it in the shower in the morning before you go to work. You're going to go through, somebody's going to tell you to, you've got to do something new and uh, and you're going to say, yeah, watch me. <laughs> See how I can implement some obstacles, not knowing, you know, people don't typically do it consciously. It's, it's pretty subconscious when this happens, but uh, there are a lot of people dragging their feet simply because they've run out of energy. And, uh, and I think that's the number one failure for leaders is to recognize that, that the, the focus on their team in making changes and in implementing strategies far outweighs the strategy itself. God, I find this, I find this so incredibly fascinating. But while you were sharing, something came to mind. And one of, the, one of the most valuable lessons in leadership I ever had was I was working with, I used to manage a team of about 18 to 20 people. And one of the people who was the top, one of the top performers on that team, it was time for us to do the, you know, the monthly check-in, coaching check-in or whatever, where you're going over the spreadsheet. Yeah. And I asked, and, and the model I was taught was it's, what did you do? Recap, what did you do well? What do you have coming in? How can we improve that, right? And yeah. I'm a pretty driven person. You know, yeah. and I'm also that pretty driven, like if I will do what I need to do to win, type not ethically ethically meaning that i'm not going to go and yeah, do something bad but sure. it's it's more of like if i can if it's the goal is this and it means that i can challenge myself that much more to get there then i will often thrive on that and right. and so i was doing the coaching call with this this guy and he stopped me midway through and i'm talking about how he can grow and he can do this and doing that whole little like pep that i think i'm supposed to do as a leader and he stopped yeah. me and he looked at me and he said jesse not everybody thinks like you. Not everybody operates like you. Not everybody has the same goals as you. And I said, well, you know, what the heck do you mean? And he said, he said, for me, 70% is good. And I go, what do you mean 70% is good? He said, for me, if I can do at 70% of my potential, he said, that's yeah. good. That's like a solid C. I, I, I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah. And I looked at him and I had this moment of like, because I, I could feel the truth in it. That was the thing. It, was, it wasn't even I had to think of it. I could feel it. And I looked at him and said, I appreciate you so much for sharing that. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And 70% is not a C. It's a C minus. And in some places, it's a D plus. <laughs> and, right. and my question. Depending on the bell curve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but it's a question to you. With, the reason I'm asking that is, is because this, is, this just popped up to me. Is his position of 70% is it a fixed position or is it something with the right leadership like if I was more maybe self-aware and more prepared and trained in my ability to communicate understanding values and aligning the mission values and whatnot as a leader is there the potential to elevate somebody like that from a 70 to a 75 to an 80 and beyond uh the the basic answer is yes, absolutely. It, it, it requires beliefs change strategies. Um, however, he's got to want to change his beliefs, you know, and here's where you start looking at, all right, does he have a growth mindset or a fixed mindset? 
is he uh, in it for the long haul and he wants to improve or uh, he's just wants to slog, you know, and this, mm. this is where leaders start making really difficult decisions of whether or not they have the team players on board. So remember, I was going through those four attributes. So if that particular employee shares the same values as the company, but has a disconnect with the beliefs of what's possible for them, that you can change. If there's the disconnect in the values, that's when you might consider blessing and releasing an employee and, and finding one who is more aligned. And, and it's, a subtle, it's a subtle difference. And it takes some time to, to get to that level, but through development, professional development, yes, it's absolutely possible. I mean, we have worked within our company, have worked with uh, folks who have been veterans of organizations, you know, old curmudgeon I dare you to change me, I dare you to teach me something I don't already know, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. And then they just yeah. become... Uh, you know, little kittens lapping up milk for the first time of just like, wow, mm -hmm. I can be mm -hmm. a better person. And you know what, that actually feels pretty good. And then they see this ripple effect, not just from work, but in, in their personal lives, and they embrace it, and they grow and they go on to do things they never thought was possible for themselves. And that's beautiful. So, you know, I never want to say no, nobody can change, because I've seen it happen with some amazing employees that have gone on to do great work for their organizations who previously had been like anchors. Uh, but, but it's not everyone. There are times when you do just need to bless and release somebody to go find an environment that does fit their values. I mean, it doesn't mean that they're the wrong person. They're a bad person. It means they're the wrong fit for that organization. We, we spend a lot of time looking at what is your culture? How do you identify your culture? And making sure that when you're making a hire, you know, it's a jargony thing to say, we hire for fit. Do you? Do you know what, what your mm. culture is so that yeah. you can find that right fit? Uh, you know, a lot of people think that that means hiring people who are like them. And uh, sometimes that works. Uh, sometimes it doesn't. Darn jargon again. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's a popular thing to say, though. You, you hear yeah. it quite often. Yeah. But when you ask the questions behind it, well, what do you mean by that? People struggle to articulate that. Because they haven't done the work to know what their culture really is. They'll say things like, oh, well, we have book clubs, or we have ping pong tables in the break room. We have a great culture. And then you go in and interview the employees, and there's a lot of trust and respect, respect breakdowns, and and uh, it goes deeper than that. Hmm. Jenny, I want to shift real quick, quick and talk about surrender. We were talking offline about how surrender has kind of been a really key core theme for you in recent time. And, and also that surrender is also in something that you've redefined in the sense of it once was something that was a passive, you know, I give up versus now it's much different for you. Could you explain expand on that just a little bit sure i love that we just shifted gears because this is really the it re, it clearly represents sort of the two sides of my business you know the, the business strategy culture work but then also the deep personal inner development work uh that i do right alongside my clients you know and, and in this this great global hospice that we're in right now in these difficult times uh, I myself have had to, to rethink what is it that motivates me 
And what is it that I do as a human being when I come against external forces that I cannot control? And I think this is what a lot of us are doing is we, we, we are seeing around us this experiencing this heightened sense of uncertainty because of external forces that we cannot control. And I have studied the art of surrender before. And when I've studied it before, I always saw it as a very passive thing. And I recognize, I think it's a lot of baggage that I've had from uh, religion of, you know, surrendering to what, what I personally was seeing as like this patriarchal um, hierarchy. And if I give up my power, I'm just giving it away to another uh, resource and, and not, um, not taking it for myself. And I need to grow myself mm -hmm. as a powerful recognized leader for me. So I'm gonna hold on to that as much as possible. What I've come to realize, and this is just a, a kind of a new relationship that I have with surrendering, is that you actually don't give up your power when you have belief systems that you can co-create with the universe. You know, I believe deeply in things like the law of attraction and, um, you know, the, the quantum physics of the field that arranges itself based on the energy that you put out. I have a lot of deep-rooted beliefs in that. And, and I'm recognizing now that surrendering simply means that I'm no longer getting in my own way. I'm no longer creating resistance for these universal forces to work on my behalf. I'm no longer trying to insert control where it does not belong. And, you know, they, those are easy words to say and not as easy of a practice, but that's, that's my work right now. And I'm working with many of my clients on it right now as well. It is powerful and important work. And, uh, and I believe wholeheartedly in it. I don't believe it's passive as I had believed in the, in the past. I don't believe that it means giving up your power as I had believed in the past. I believe that it is, uh, that it is actually a representation of a very powerful stance by taking a step back and saying, okay, I'm gonna put my pure energy into this where I can and where I can't, I'm gonna allow for forces greater than myself to arrange themselves on my behalf. Scott, I absolutely love that. I feel like we need to have a 45 minute conversation on just that, but I, know we're running short on time so before I ask my final question you had mentioned Janine that you have a free gift for the viewers and listeners where can they go to find that I do thank you for saying uh, when I work with more deeply with clients I start them all on the inventory that I mentioned here uh, I call it your personal strengths declaration and what I would love to gift your listeners and viewers with is a training on exactly how they can do that inventory through their attitudes, behaviors, beliefs, and values in many different areas of their life. And through this, they'll start to see, oh, here's where the work I need to do should be focused. Uh, and so I have that training available to your listeners on standinyourstrength.com forward slash Jesse. And we'll have a page there just for you, just for your audience. And they can download that training 
and the guide that will walk them through that step by step. That'll be incredible. Thank you for that generous offer. And everybody, I think if you've enjoyed and been getting so much out of this, you can imagine how the value that's going to be in diving deeper into what Janine has to offer. And we'll make sure that is in the show notes and the links and everything. So just click on over and, and check it out. Great. Janine, this has been such an incredible conversation and I do not want it to end, but I know that we must. And my final question to you is this, and maybe you could address this and you could, when you answer, you can address this specifically to the leaders, the aspiring leaders, the would-be leaders right now. I, I'm of the belief that leadership is needed now more than ever. And I'm also of the belief that, that we're at a really unique time where there's an opportunity for leadership to evolve and expand in ways that it may not have before. And, and in a way that's being radically accelerated. You know, yes. We are having these conversations where those words on the wall are not just rhetoric, but we're actually getting to the deep emotional core and starting to understand really what they mean and, and examining perhaps for the first time in greater depth how they show up in our lives. So for the leader who's listening right now, the aspiring leader, the want-to-be leader who's listening right now, the the person who's, whether they're, they're running a Fortune 100 company or they're looking at how they can be a better leader in their home and their community. Right. If you could give them one action, just one, one action to walk away from today with and to whether it's a matter of integrating some of what we discussed on, it's an opportunity for them to <clears throat> begin to explore their own attributes and how they show up either individually or organizationally. If you could give them one action to take, from all that we've discussed today, what would that action be that you would encourage them to take? It, it is uh, in the theme of self-awareness. You know, this inventory, the Personal Strengths Declaration will help with that. And in that, I would ask them to look at what do you think you can control? And what do you think you cannot control? And what are you gonna do about that? You know, I, the, this idea of control in leadership is very contentious. And I believe that many leaders out there right now are trying to control environments that they have no business trying to control. There's a wonderful Chinese proverb that I love that says, when the winds of change blow, some people build walls and others build windmills. And so what I would ask of your leadership is think about the windmills that you can blow, that you can build, that you can, that you can work with the energies instead of trying to uh, fortify against them. I love that. Everyone, my goodness, was this a, a treat to go through. I encourage you to rewatch, re-listen. We started this off with an incredible discussion about the intersection between leadership and anthropology. And Janine took us on a wonderful journey about how we could really enhance the three Ps, the positivity, productivity, and profitability. We talked about attributes, the different attributes we have and looking at some of our values, our belief systems, our behaviors, and our attitudes, and how those show up independent of and in relation to one another. There was an incredible opportunity to look at, Janine brought to attention that 85% of the American workplace may dislike or not have. And if your heart's not singing and work, what an incredible opportunity it is as a leader to find that ability to make it sing. There's huge potential there. 
But then also if you find that it's an issue of values not being aligned, I love how she said, bless them by giving them, helping them leave. Bless them, right? <clears throat> the idea of surrender, her redefinition of, and I, I love I love how she explained this by saying, I used to believe this, now I believe that. I think that is such a powerful declaration to just be able to use that term, I used to believe and now I believe this. Because what it does, at least from my perspective, is it invites the opportunity for all of us to examine belief systems that might not be fixed. And to realize that as we evolve, as our learnings evolve, as we expand as human beings, so too can expand our belief systems and how we view and interact with the world. We do not have to hold ourselves hostage to what we said, did, and believed necessarily five, 10 years ago, because the opportunity, the nature of, of living is really changed, and the nature of who we are as individuals and leaders is one that can change too. And I love that in an, an explanation of an idea of surrender. You know, it's not something of putting up your hands and I give up but it's actually quite the opposite. It's, it's, it's opening up and inviting in. It's saying, I'm no longer gonna fight and resist that which I really want, which when you listen to it, I don't know about all of you, but I got goosebumps up and down because I could feel the truth in that. Because for me in my own life, I know that so much of my obstacles to getting and achieving some of that which I want is because I've become so pigheaded and fixated on trying to control those things that I can't control. I've become so determined to try to ram my head through the wall that I felt I have blinded myself to see the alternative paths that could be found around. Or if a guide were to appear, I've never heard them because again, I'm banging my head against the wall and not able to hear them through the headache that I'm giving myself from that. I love that idea of what surrender can be and how she's choosing to approach it. Janine, this has been such an incredible gift for us. Thank you so very much for being here and for blessing us with your time, your energy, your presence, and your expertise. Thank you. Thank you, Jesse. It's been such a treat for me as well. I'm so thrilled that we're in each other's spheres. Yes, likewise, me too. I'm really excited. And this is, uh, everybody be sure to check out that free gift. We'll have it on there. And Janine, thank you again. We will see you all next time on another edition of A Handful of Hope. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you're finding value in these conversations, please rate and review on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite place is to listen to